0: There are some slight adult themes this week. Check out the post on MythPodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, there are three stories about love from Indian folklore, and we'll see how relationships are difficult, especially if they're between a mouse and the sun. The creature this week is your perfect man, who you won't see. Oh, and he's also terrible. This is Myths and Legends, episode 171, Love and Marriage. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. There are three stories this week of, well, love and marriage from Indian folklore. So we'll just jump right in. There were two people who took large sums of money from the rich old men of Benares by night. The first was a robber by the name of Satuka, a man who was as strong as an elephant. The other was a woman. Her name was Sulasa, a prostitute. One evening, in between clients, but not, anyway. Sulasa was looking out of her house, onto the bustle of the city moving past her. There was a calming flow to the early evening. She smiled at a few potentials as they passed and sat down to rest. It was then that she heard the crash. Sutaka, the robber, was not having such a calm, profitable night. There were shouts from the constable's men, and more came running. Sutaka might have been as strong as an elephant, but many men can take down an elephant. And many men took down Sutaka. Sulasa had seen a lot of men before, but even through the bruises and the swelling that was already starting to alter his face, she knew that Sutaka was the one he had a devilish grin as they walked him through town. With a wink, as the guards yanked him onwards, Sulasa was in love. After all this time, she had met the love of her life, and he was going to be executed in the morning. Well, not if she could help it. And she could help it. Sulasa made a lot of money. She took that money, and bought what was necessary to keep attracting clients. A nice, comfortable apartment costly jewelry perfumes. One version says she had 500 attendants, which really feels over the top for one person. But still, she did well and saved her money. And when she saw Sutaka being hauled away in irons, she knew what she was saving it for. She told her chief attendant to watch her home. She was going for a walk. She went to visit the constable. The man smiled. They knew each other quite well. She asked about the man who had been taken in. How much had he stolen from the people tonight? What damage had been done? The constable said it had been worth about 500. When he realized he was going to be caught, he started in destroying the place. Sulasa tossed the bag down on the table. 1,000. 500 to pay the victim back. 500 for Sutaka to disappear. The constable nodded. Oh, yeah, that's not a problem. How'd she want it done? Drowning? Stabbing? "'Dealer's choice?' "'She cocked her head. "'What? No, 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 no. "'She wanted him released.' "'The constable pursed his lips. "'Released, huh? "'Well, that was gonna cost her.' And Sulasa said, "'That's what the bribe is for. "'Come on, keep up.' "'The constable looked down and smiled. "'Oh, yeah, that's right. "'Nice. "'Sure.' "'They release him right away.' "'So, Sulasa hadn't had the best of luck "'with relationships in the past.' Even though a man said he was comfortable with her job, he wasn't comfortable. Weeks or days sometimes later, things would fall apart. She thought, she hoped, that Sutaka would be different. She was right. The man was stunned that such a beautiful woman would not only bail him out of jail, but that she was in love with him. He didn't care what she did. I mean, he was a thief. He had very little room to be judgy anyway. A few blocks down the road, the pair joined hands and joined the bustle of the city in the evening. Sutaka was so supportive of Sulasa that he didn't ask her to quit her work, something she was ready to do for him. It helped that she was willing to work on the condition that he not return to his previous job. She got to bed a little later than most, but together... They were happy. Then, the dreams came. Sutaka would toss and turn violently in his sleep, awakening with wide eyes and cold sweat. At first, he refused to tell Sulasa what it was, but she pressed it, and finally, he confessed. Every night, he died, and he died because of her. Well, okay, he backed up because she saved him. He died because she saved him when he was in irons. In the custody of the constable, he pled to a tree deity on a mountaintop near his childhood home. If he was freed from death on that day, he would give the deity an offering. He had been freed, and months had passed. The deity was visiting him in his dreams, promising to make good on the consequences of that day, if the offering was not made. Sulasa shrugged. Well, alright. When would they be leaving? He smirked and cocked an eyebrow. Really? She would go with him? They embraced she would go anywhere with him. As the pair packed for their journey, the attendant peeked in. Wow, Sutaka was getting dressy for this thing, huh? Sutaka said he didn't want to anger the god any more than he already had. Sulasa asked if she should bring her jewelry, like, the good stuff. The stuff she only wore for Sutaka and, her, like, her best clients. Sutaka looked at the jewelry. Wow, yeah. He didn't even know she had that type of stuff. I mean, he didn't think the deity would be mad at her, but there was absolutely no way it could hurt. They travel in their simple cloaks, though, Sutaka said, as he sheathed the sword, and they would leave tomorrow. It might be kind of fun. The attendant stayed back in Sulasa's home and watched it to politely inform any clients that she was traveling. Together, the husband and wife traveled by foot, to the mountain by Sutaka's hometown. And it was fun. The pair slept off the road in an inns. Suilasa had never traveled this far away from the city, and if she was on her own, she would have been terrified. But having Sutaka made it an adventure. The bumps and noises in the darkness of the night were nothing against the fires of their love. When they were in sight of his home village, he pointed to the mountain, saying that they should go there first. He had waited long enough, and he had no idea when the gods would come for him. So, they climbed. As they approached the altar at the top of the mountain, they stopped to put on the finery they had tucked in the bottom of their bags. Together, they got dressed, held hands, and walked up to the altar. When they arrived at the mountaintop, Sulasa looked around. This... This rock was it? He turned around, shocked. It? This this is the most holy place for my entire village. My family for generations worshipped the... <laughs> okay, you know what? I can't even keep a straight face. You're right. It's just a rock. Sulasa was confused. Then what were they doing up here? Oh, really? I'm robbing you. but oh, what? Oh, no. You thought that I loved you? Who could ever love you? No, I just had to get you out here because, you know... Who knew what tricks you and that little attendant of yours had planned? Those jewels are worth hundreds of thousands, you know that, right? Take them off, put them in a pile, and then throw yourself off that cliff, or I'll throw you off. She was devastated, and glanced toward the path back down the mountain. Towering over her, her husband raised her chin with his hand. That would be a bad idea. Falling would be a pleasure compared to what he would do to her if she ran. The jewels. Now. She said she had saved his life. She bought him out of chains. Her hand shook as she unclasped her jewelry and started to place it on the ground. He nodded. And that was very nice. Very stupid, but very nice. Life wasn't fair. He was sorry she was going to learn that lesson with so little time left to apply it. But also, no, he wasn't because he was going to murder her. Take the jewels off faster. Sulasa bowed. She wasn't listening. She said she could make a thousand a day. She would never look at another man. She would give him all of her money. She would be a slave. Don't do this. He said it was tempting, but no. Why wait for a pittance a day when he could have half a million now? She then asked to say goodbye. He might not have loved her, but she loved him. It would be better for her if she honored her husband before she left the earth. Normally, that would be a hard no, but honoring him? Eh, He can make an exception for that. She embraced him, weeping, saying that this would be the last time they embraced on this earth. He nodded. Yep, that was the plan. She knelt down and kissed his foot, making obeisance there. She kissed his right hand and then his left. But when she went behind him, she didn't kneel. She stood. He almost turned around. Then he felt her kiss, in her foot, planted hard in his lower back. He turned around to tell her how much worse she had just made her own death, or he meant to. He stumbled a few feet, and those few feet sent him right over the cliff's edge. He was right. No one would hear a scream from up here. She knelt down to pick up her jewelry, and as she put it back on, she looked down to the sheer cliff face to the broken man, moaning as he slowly died. She made her way down the mountain and found her husband laying there. His sword had fallen not five feet from his body. He could barely speak now, but it was clear what he was begging her to do. She looked at the sword. That would make it a lot easier for him. So she sheathed it and took it with her. She traded one piece of jewelry for a team of horses and as many servants to drive them back to Benares. When she arrived, her attendants took one look at her arriving alone. and Before the attendants said anything, Sulasa gave them a look that made it inescapably clear that she did not want to talk about it. That night, she resumed her client work and she never married again. you might be thinking, wow, that's kind of a good ending. The woman doesn't fold when she's in danger, she's not a damsel in distress, but instead she turns the tables on her husband and gets him first. Well, yes and no. Not content with simply letting it stay the way it is, the story has to compliment Sulasa with a phrase that's really more of an insult than a compliment. The story says that some deity on high was watching the interaction between Sulasa and Sutaka and chuckled before reciting the following poem. Wisdom at times is not confined to men. A woman can show wisdom now and then. Like, okay, come on. That's like saying to someone, you look great today. You usually look so tired. I mean, you're technically complimenting them, but let's be real. It's mostly an insult. All right, well, anyway, next up is a story about another couple, a barber and his wife, who actually want to make
1: their marriage work.
0: And, you know, not kick each other off mountains. Oh, we got a bleeder, the barber screamed. It's a bad one. The barber's wife rushed in with a towel to put pressure on the wound while she grimaced at her husband. Thanks for that. For what? The barber asked. For nothing. Thanks for nothing, the wife replied. When the client's bleeding stopped, he rushed from their house. They would not expect payment for that. He was their last customer, too. Ever, Everyone else in town had decided that long hair or cutting your own hair looked better than going to the barber. He didn't just cut hair either. He cut people and he cut their hair short when they wanted it long and it was lumpy, awkward, and uneven. Frankly, he was terrible. What can I do? The barber whined. She was always telling him how useless he was, how he had never done anything right and would never do anything right. The wife shook her head. He could starve if he wanted to, but she had no intention of doing so. Well, what would you have me do? The barber said, throwing up his hands. Beg. Go to the king and beg. His daughter was getting married, and he would be in a good mood. Ask him for... Something. The barber clenched his jaw. Fine. He would debase himself before the king. Asking him for... Something. "'Something?' the king clarified with the barber after the man had stopped him outside his palace. "'Okay, he was in a good mood "'and no one should leave his home unsatisfied "'on this, the day of his daughter's wedding. "'But what did he mean something?'
1: "'Yeah,
0: something,' the barber said with a grin. "'He was following his wife's advice to the letter. "'He had really turned this around,' the king nodded. "'Okay,' he whispered to his advisor. Did they still have that wasteland a mile from the palace? Nice. Five acres, right? The king turned back to the barber. How would he like to be a landowner? Land! The barber gestured. At their land, his wife blinked. Why did he ask for land? They couldn't do anything with land. They didn't have any way to plow it and grow crops. Besides, it's riddled with rocks and gnarly roots. He said he didn't ask for land. He asked for something, just like she said. Maybe be more specific next time. His wife took a deep breath. I see. All right. Well, he obviously had to go back to the king. The husband raised both palms. Hold up. He had done his part. He had gotten something. Now it was her turn to think of something to do. The wife exhaled. Serenity now. A few moments passed. All right. She had a plan. She looked out toward the road to the occasional person passing by. Follow my lead, she said to her husband. And started walking. She was studying the ground. And every so often she would stop and look very intently at a spot. She would occasionally stop and sit deep in thought. While staring at the dirt, her husband followed along. Where she stopped, he stopped. Where she looked, he looked. This went on for two hours, until the plan started in motion. Hey, honey, the barber whispered, there are some guys coming this way. They look... evil? They were in dark hooded cloaks, and they approached the couple. Hey there, what are people like you doing out here on such a hot day, all alone? The barber's wife hesitated. Well, she would tell them, but they had to promise not to tell anyone. The snarling guy actually twirling his mustache, the story says, turned to the one wearing two eye patches. That's not in the story. Oh, your secret is safe with us. The wife shrugged. Well, they seem like straight shooters. Sure. Her forefathers were rich, and this was her family's ancestral land. She knew that her grandfather had buried pots of gold out here, but they couldn't find them. The lamb was too big. The stranger stroked his mustache. Oh, okay, well, he wished them the best of luck. Good day. The husband didn't ask questions, and the couple stayed in the field for another hour or two to keep up appearances. By then, it was dusk, and it was time to go home. That night, the two thieves had called for help. There were pots of gold buried in this field for the taking. It would be a lot of work, but under the cover of darkness and working all night, they could have it dug up and be gone without anyone being the wiser. So they did just that. A whole team of bandits worked all night, digging up all five acres. By morning, they were sweaty, dirt caked, and exhausted. But they could see that they, like the couple, had been duped. The couple's grandfather had lied to them. There was no gold in this field. As the first rays of sunlight hit the field, they took off, so no one would ever know that they were there, except that the barber and his wife knew that they had been there. They looked out on a perfectly plowed field. All the roots had been cut and removed. The rocks dug up and piled perfectly on the edge. They called in a favor and got some corn to sow in the field. With the proceeds, they bought a plow, and everything they needed to keep the farm going. Thanks to the quick thinking of the barber's wife, and to her ability to turn a curse, a wasteland, into a boon, their family had a future. Our final story today is about a daughter looking for marriage. But, you know, of course... It's a mouse daughter, and, you know, she might marry the son. The guru closed his eyes and breathed deep. This, this was a good day. The guru, Vadnavalka, who I'm just going to call guru, had a small hermitage on the banks of the Ganges, the famously sacred river. Its water is considered pure, and people still bathe in it to this day. A guru is a spiritual teacher, and a leader in Buddhism and Hinduism, and they lead people in the scriptures, texts, sciences. Anyway, this guru was bathing in the Ganges, arms outstretched and enjoying the sunlight, when something dropped into his hand, and it was squirming. He opened his eyes, and saw the baby mouse panicking, peering over the edge of his hand, but not knowing how to get off of it. He brought the little mouse close and comforted it. It still tried to scramble, though. It was terrified of something. So, the guru looked up. Mice don't usually fall from the sky. And he was right. They didn't. He looked up and saw the hawk circling in the sky, the one whose talons the mouse had just fallen from. I like to think the hawk looked down at the guru and said something to the effect of, little help? You gonna eat that? The guru knew he couldn't put the little mouse down. The hawk would get it immediately, but he was right in the middle of purifying himself. He couldn't hold the mouse. Ah, He snapped a finger. He knew what he would do. He put the mouse on the ground for an instant, but before the hawk could die for it, the guru said a few words and changed the mouse into a human baby. Turned out the mouse was a girl. Cool. He told the baby he would turn her back after she was done bathing. The hawk was annoyed, but stuck around. The baby mouse, who was now a baby baby, didn't seem all that concerned about it anymore. She certainly wasn't looking at the sky in panic, trying to get away. She just rolled on the banks, playing in the dirt and picking the grass from the ground. When the guru was finished, he scooped the baby up and held her in his arms. Then he looked up to the sky. Huh, man, that hawk was persistent. All right, well, it probably wouldn't follow him home. He'd just take the girl there, turn her back, and let her go then. Of course holding the baby that smiled and cooed when it looked in his eyes, that sucked on her feet and fell asleep in his arms. The plans changed by the time he made it back to the hermitage, even though the hawk was no longer following them. His wife was receptive to their family's new addition. Despite being able to magically turn a rodent into a child at will, they apparently couldn't get pregnant. The guru had grinned as he popped his head around the corner. He had a surprise. After assuring his wife that, no, He didn't steal a baby. He transformed her from a mouse, and yes, that's something he could do. She took the girl into her arms before drawing the guru in close. Yes, she could stay. Their family was complete. And so, the girl grew up in the hermitage, and under the tutelage of her father and mother, it's said that she learned many sciences and the ways of life. It's also said that the guru and his wife were very proud of their special child. Then, years later, the day came. Their little girl was all grown up, like, legally. She had reached a marriageable age. Both the guru and his wife decided that such a wonderful, special girl deserved a special husband. The father was a famous guru living on the banks of the Ganges, so he had some connections he could call on, like the best connections in the world. The next day, bringing the nearby water to a boil and reducing the plants to smoking twisted husks the sun god stood outside their home. The guru bowed low and begged the bean to please accept his daughter's hand in marriage. Forcing a smile, the daughter squeezed the guru's hand. A word. They excused themselves from the presence of the sun god and the daughter had her father's ear. First, thank you. The sun god, he's a good guy. He lights up the entire world and he warms things, but he's unbearably hot and fiery tempered. She, she didn't want to marry him. The guru rose. His daughter refused to marry the husband he chose for her? No, she would bend to his will or suffer the consequences. He glared down at her. Before both of them broke out in laughter. Yeah, it was cool if she didn't want to marry him. Also, could she imagine if he was actually like that? Exiting the house, the guru shrugged. Sorry SG, the guru said that the sun god didn't want to marry the wrong woman anyway and the guru didn't want that for his daughter either. The sun god nodded. Hey, no hard feelings. Compatibility is important in marriage. The guru thanked the deity for understanding. Then asked if he might know any of his other fellow deities who were single and looking to settle down. The sun god gave the guru the number of the king of the clouds saying that he was actually superior to him he could cover the sun god's light. The sun god nodded to the guru and his family and returned to the sky. The guru and his daughter stood before the lord of winds and the guru looked to his right. The daughter looked sorry, but she shook her head. The guru shrugged and patted the Lord of Winds on the back. Sorry, bud. Hey, who might be better than you? The daughter wasn't exactly picky. I mean, when the King of Clouds came by, he was wet, cold, and such a clammy downer. He, too, understood and recommended the Lord of Winds, who just blew him away. He waited and then asked the host if they got it. The Lord of Winds, you know, blew him away. They said they got it. Thanks for stopping by. So the Lord of Winds now stood before them. But the guy, he couldn't figure out what he wanted. She couldn't plan a future with a guy who was so restless that he keeps changing direction. The guru nodded. He liked all these analogies and he understood. They would get it right. His special daughter deserved a special husband. They thanked the Lord of the Winds and rejected him. But he said he didn't want to marry her anyway. Well, she was cool. Actually, was she taken back? He loved her. Ah, time's up. She had her shot, and she blew it. Bye forever. Well, after like five more minutes of this illustrating the point, the guru asked for yet another recommendation, and that's how they got to the Lord of the Mountains, who could stop the Lord of Winds from blowing. The daughter shrugged. Sure, let's have him over. A few days later, the Lord of the Mountains said he would love to marry her. There were just a few things, though. He proceeded to lay out 472 things about himself and his life that he would never change. They were deal breakers. The guru didn't even need to look at his daughter. Yeah, this was not a good fit. The Lord of Mountains extended a hand. Hey, we gave it a shot, right? All these guys were really cool with being asked if they knew someone better than them after being rejected. So, the guru asked the Lord of the Mountains. And he got an answer. He laughed and he called the suitor that the Lord of the Mountains recommended. Father, mother, and daughter stood together, and the daughter smirked when she saw the suitor. She blushed and clung close to her father. The guru could only smile. He had a hunch this guy might be the one. The Lord of the Mountains had recommended the one who could make holes all through him, the King of Mice. Now, this wasn't the mouse king from the Nutcracker. This was like, uh, I don't know, a mouse from Redwall. He was brave, kind, respectful, and a little prone to flightiness, but he knew who he was. And the daughter, she didn't know why, but she felt something unlike anything she had ever felt before toward another being. She was ecstatic. And it was only after the king of mice said that, yes, he would marry the girl, that she realized she had been holding her breath. The guru, beaming, turned to his daughter. And said, "But did she want to tell him, or should he?" The daughter agreed to marry the king of mice. But, but then wait—after all, the guys, the most powerful beings in the world and space in the universe—how did the guru know that she would want to marry the king of mice? The guru put his arms around his daughter. It was because he knew her, and he was waiting for her to figure out herself. He told her she wasn't a human. She was a mouse he had saved from a hawk one day by turning her into a human. It was going to be a temporary thing, but he took her home. And for so many wonderful years, they were a family. She was their daughter, but the time had come, the time for her to leave them, and for her to go be who she was always meant to be. She embraced her father for the last time and went to go stand by the king of mice. The guru sighed drew his wife close and said a few words. In an instant, his beautiful teenage daughter was, according to the story, transformed into a beautiful mouse. The king of mice ran away, and the daughter looked back one last time at her mother and father, the people who had raised her, and then scurried off to be with her fellow mice. This is a rare story with a stated moral on this podcast. It says, what is inborn cannot change, which eh, sounds kind of bad. To me, it carries kind of a neutral to negative connotation that makes who you are, how you're born, feel like an inescapable inevitability when really for the daughter, it's something that she could embrace. For once, her life made sense and things felt right. I also like how it takes the idea of a mouse, something we see as like a, like a meek, gross little rodent, and it actually makes it stronger than the sun god, the lord of the winds, and everyone else coming for the daughter's hand in marriage. In that way, it reminds me a lot of the story of the stonecutter, from episode 26. That is it for this week. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode But in the meantime, if you'd like to support the show and get cool stuff, we always have the membership, which is at support.mythpodcast.com. But the Myths and Legends store is back up and running, with new shirts, new colors, sticker packs, you name it. So check it out. You can find that at mythpodcast.com store, or by following the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the Stupidor, from Romanian folklore. The Subidor is whatever you want him to be. His name literally means flying man. And he's a flying vampire who is a handsome man in whatever form you like your men. If that means muscles, he's got muscles. If that means like skinny jeans and glasses, he's all about that. Whatever it takes to make him, quote, the perfect lover. The Wikipedia page has a mention of him having a tail and fire and being a wolf-headed dragon. So... I'm not sure if that's the usual, or if that was just one person's very particular preference. I'm not exactly sure why he goes through all the trouble of disguising himself, based on the desires of his target. Because, like an incubus, and no, not that incubus, he doesn't even wake the woman up. Yeah. Also, he's invisible, so I don't know why he bothers looking like anything anyway. It says that he likes maidens, but also very recently married women, too slipping into everyone's home through open windows once every seven years. While the woman is asleep, he apparently kisses her so gently that she will not wake up. And then, yeah. The next day, the person will wake up drained of energy, and their body throbbing, easily agitated because of all those reasons, and she apparently won't be interested in other men from now on, despite not having seen her fire-tailed dragon-wolf assailant. If you want to keep this creature that's occasionally depicted as just a snake with a wolf head, Away from your bedroom, which I would recommend, it's a Romanian vampire, so it follows your standard vampire rules. Rules that pretty much originate from Romanian vampires. Just put some garlic on your windowsill and you'll be good. It won't come in. Then you just get to wake up grumpy from a room stinking of garlic. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and
1: I'll see you next time.